Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. You are listening to episode 316 of Sexology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. We are entering the seven years of sexology podcast. I know many of you guys have listened to this show for years, and it is a true honor to be part of your daily life, weekly life. And I'm super grateful that you are listening to this show. I know you have tons of different options. And I want to make sure that we are producing, we're focusing on the content that's relevant to you. For that reason, I'm doing a survey. It's only three questions. It takes more than, a t- more than two minutes. And by answering those questions, you will help me to identify the topics that you're interested for us to explore more on. I want to make sure that I'm producing a content that you're excited to check out. In last seven years, some of the topic we covered so far is the interesting, innovative research in the field of sex therapy. We talked about sexual skills. We often talk about the newest and best books in the field. We are actually doing another season on sexual skill. And I'm super excited because I listened to so many podcasts, read so many different blogs and content out there. And I chose some of the best educator to come on the show and teach you their favorite sexual skills. So make sure you are tuning in for the next couple of months to check out those content. And if you complete the survey, if you would like, you can enter to win a $100 gift card to Amazon. You can completely anonymously complete the survey or you can complete it, put your email address, and I will announce the winners in two weeks. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that we haven't talked as much about in the past, which is cockholding. Cockholding gets a really bad press. When people think about cockholding, often they think about these women that are forced to be in these arrangements or the men that are weak. And it's one of those consensual non-monogamous relationship types that many people have misunderstanding about. And it's my experience that not many of the educators are talking about it. My personal experience is was that when I was talking about it in my Farsi show, I got a lot of negative feedback from people calling me, I'm, I have internalized misogyny, this is against women's, and all sorts of things that people say. And what's interesting that if you work with people that practice cuckolding, they can tell you that can be actually positive for their relationship. I'm not saying that that's the solution for couples, but that's a solution for many people to keep their relationship exciting and functional. A few years ago, Ago, we had Dr. Justin Miller on our show. And back then, he just recently published his book, Tell Me What You Want. He talked about his book. You can check out the interview in our back catalog. 
But it's interesting that for his book, he surveyed thousands of Americans and he found that 58% of men and about a third of women had fantasized about cuckolding. If you are curious about what cuckolding is, what's people everyday experiences of practicing this, this is the episode for you. It's my honor to have Dr. David Lay to tell us more about his, his process of writing the book. His book was the first clinically written book on this experiences, and he's been working with the population. So you will have the opportunity of firsthand hearing from David about his understanding, his experience of working and doing research in this community. Dr. David Lay is a clinical psychologist, sex therapist, and author based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's the author of several books and research articles on sexuality, including his first book, Insatiable Wives, Women Who Stray and the Men Who Love Them, which was the first book to examine the cuckolding and hot wife phenomenon. With Justin Laymiller and Dan Savage, he published the first psychological study of the cuckold fantasy. Dr. David Lay is a frequent guest in media around the world with appearances in the New York Times, CNN, and Time magazine, as well as Hustler and Playboy magazines. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. David Lay. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Dr. David Lay to our show. David, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me, Naz. It's lovely to be here. I am very excited about this conversation. I know I, I told you a few years ago, I loved your book. It's it's one of the best book when it comes in the first book, when it comes to cuckolding that's been written by a therapist, fellow psychologist. And I, you know what I love about it? It has the good combination of scientific-based information paired with people's experiences. I think that's something that's very unique. And I'm curious, as a fellow psychologist, you know, like we don't get much information about sex therapy and specifically about cuckolding. I'm curious, how did you get to that place? Oh, I want to write a book about that. Well, you know, honestly, it's kind of exactly what you just said. The fact that we don't get much training on sexuality in in general as therapists or psychologists and, and particularly on, you know, sexual diversity. I had worked with sexuality issues for a good long while. But I was collecting data for a research project that I was trying to do around polyamory and non-monogamy. And, and I ran into these couples. This was, now, this was about 2007 or so. And, and I ran into these couples that told me about living the hot wife and cuckold lifestyle. And when they described what it was to me, I honestly, I, my initial impression was, this this is crazy. This can't be healthy. You know, the wife out having sex with strange men and, and uh, you know, and the husband monogamous. And and I was just really, you know, kind of taken back, even though I had been working, you know, around these issues for a while. And luckily, the, the these first two couples that I met were, were really healthy. I mean, they had incredible communication skills, very stable, long life met marriages, successful careers. By every benchmark that we would identify, they were they were very healthy people. And and then I kind of questioned myself, why was it, how was it that I had assumed that they were unhealthy? 
And I realized first that I was coming from a place of ignorance. Second was that I had allowed a lot of, you know, social moral biases around sexuality, female sexuality and stuff like that to intrude into my clinical thinking. And so I decided to do something about it. So I, I went to the literature and there was nothing written about it. And there was one, there was one research article by a psychologist named Yuri Wernick, who's an Israeli psychologist, and he had done an analysis of wife-sharing letters published in penthouse letters. That was it. That was the only thing that was in the literature. And I and I said, wow, this, yeah, I've always wanted to write a book. And and so I kind of dove in. And and I, it, 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 in a lot of ways, it started my, my current career, which is really around trying to challenge, confront, call out the degree to which mental health and healthcare in general stigmatizes sexuality based on morality, not medicine or science or data or research. And and as you as you said, you know, as I as I wrote the book, the thing that really impacted me were the stories from people, you know, about how and how how they how they made this a part of their lives and so i wanted to share those stories so yeah in in the, in the book i end up you know it, there there are these interludes in between chapters telling these people's stories and you know as a as a psychologist as a therapist i'm just fascinated by by people's stories and 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 that kind of came through I, I really enjoy the combination. And, and as you mentioned, there's just so many misconceptions when it comes to different type of non-monogamous relationships, especially around cuckolding, which again, there's tons of diversity around that. So like for our audience, they might not be familiar with cuckolding. Can you just say more about what is cuckolding? What is hot wifing? And I know in the in your writing, you differentiate wife sharing as as a different term. Yeah. So you know, first, you know, like like people in general, and especially you know people online, these terms you know get used idiosyncratically by 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 different people using meaning meaning different things, and people argue vociferously about about what the terms mean and how they're doing it right or wrong or whatever. Cuckolding is is actually an old English term that was derived, was actually created by naturalists who watched the cuckoo bird. And the cuckoo bird will lay its egg in the nest of other birds. And then the cuckoo baby, I'm sure there's a bird for it, chick, the, the cuckoo chick hatches before the other, you know, bird, bird eggs, and, and it takes the food from the other chicks. And so naturalists back in the day said that's what happens when a man's wife cheats on him, that she, he, the man then runs the risk of, you know, supporting and giving his resources to the child, to a child that's not related to him. So they came up with the term cuckolding to describe when a woman is, you know, sexually unfaithful to her husband. Now, that actually, the the, the origin of the term is non-consensual, right? So it's it's non-consensual, non-monogamy, infidelity, etc., by, by the wife. And there was another term called whittle or whittlery, which was cuckolding when the husband was consenting to it, when the husband was okay with it. Nobody uses that term anymore now, though. And the term cuckolding is now describing 
almost a fetish, a sexual fantasy, sexual behavior, etc., where the wife is non-monogamous with other men, and typically the husband is monogamous. Now, in, in today's kind of vernacular and lifestyle approach to this, cuckolding oftentimes involves the husband taking a bit of a submissive role. There is sometimes some dominance and submission elements. It's not explicitly BDSM, bondage, you know, dominance, sadomasochism, but it has some of those same elements. The oftentimes the you know the the husband is is submissive both to the wife and to the men that she has sex with. Hot wifing is is distinguished from cuckolding because it doesn't involve those kind of submissive elements and so sometimes you'll hear men who whose whose wives or hot wives say well you know I'm not a cuck because I'm not I'm not submissive I'm I'm sharing my wife with other men oftentimes in those cases the husband is having sex with the wife with other men and there's even now a new term called vixen and stag and that is you know really highlighting again that the, the husband is you know not some weakling but is you know is, is a dominant male who is choosing to share his vixen sexy wife with other men and getting some out of it so a lot of it, it that's why ultimately in the book i ended up using the term wife sharing because each couple does this differently. It's you know, again every if you work with non-monogamous folks, every non-monogamous relationship looks different from every other one. And so ultimately, I, I kind of gave up on 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 the rigidity of some of these terms and said, yeah, let, let's go with a more neutral kind of term that 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 expresses some of what's going on, and then and then we can look at the different elements that they bring into it. Well, I I really liked when you were talking about it, like like the term wife sharing better than cuckolding, because before I got training in sex therapy and start seeing clients, whenever I'm thinking about cuckolding, I was thinking about porn genre of cuckolding mm -hmm. and there's an element of humiliation and there's always an element of humiliation but that's not the case for for many people who identify with this, this lifestyle and i like that, that in your book you were talking about as a way of celebrating female sexuality it's not like taking away from your experience it's like letting your partner to have the experiences that they want and it, it comes with lots of diversity what are some of the misconceptions that you hear people have, like when they're talking about cuckolding, hearing about cuckolding, like general public? You know, a couple, couple of things kind of come to mind. It's a good question. A couple of things. One is that there is this assumption that the, the man, the husband who allows his wife to be un, sexually unfaithful, is a is a weak man that he's you know quote a beta and that you, you know the fox news crowd the the gop and republicans and far right for the past few years have been they go around they call each other cuck and and it's a way of saying that you're 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 a weakling you're not really true you're not really a true republican you're not you're not an alpha man or whatever so there's this assumption that men who would share their wives with other men must be a weak man with a small penis who can't satisfy his wife. 
And that that really isn't true. Oftentimes, in fact, what I found was that many of these men are actually pretty extraordinarily successful men. Many of these men are pretty powerful men, business leaders, executives. I mean, it's funny, I won't name names, but a former president of the American Psychological Association reached out to me on the side and said that he was so happy I'd written the book because cuckolding had always been a big part of his fantasy and his life. But he couldn't say that out loud because of, of the judgment that he would get from other psychologists. So I think, and I, I, I think that one of the reasons that this is appealing for, for men is that it is, it, it's an escape from self. It's an opportunity to give up, you know, in Roy, Roy Ballmeister's kind of terms. It's an opportunity to to give up the burden of having to maintain this, you know, this macho in charge identity. And so, just just like in BDSM, embracing masochism and 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 submission is a a time when we can escape from from the work of having to to be in charge all the time. The other, the other, I think, negative assumption is that any couple that would do this must have, you know, an, an unhealthy or a failing marriage that it's ultimately going to doom the relationship. And certainly, you know, there are couples that I have seen where attempting to explore, you know, cuckolding or non-monogamy of any kind ultimately ends up being unhealthy for the marriage and 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 negative for the relationship. However, I saw lots and lots of of couples where they were able to make this a healthy part of their of their life and and their marriage. Justin Laymiller and Dan Savage and I published a, a research study and it's one of the only research studies thus far on cuckolding. Now this was actually in the gay male population where cuckolding is now a thing. And what we found there was that by and large, so long as the couple was healthy, exploring cuckolding was experienced as 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 healthy for them. So I don't think that there's really any evidence that that, you know, only unhealthy or doomed marriages, you know, kind of go in this direction. Instead, kind of like you said, this is oftentimes an opportunity for both the the husband and wife to explore aspects of sexuality that that they oftentimes feel like they've missed out on. Many of the husbands, I think, have some latent bisexuality or bisexual interest. And so this is a way for them to kind of engage vicariously with other men kind of through the through the vehicle of their wife's body. But then I, I've also seen a lot of wives who never felt comfortable before, never felt confident to really explore their sexuality aggressively, to kind of embrace being a slut in some ways because they were so afraid of being slut-shamed. And I don't know if you have watched the Hulu documentary called, I think, God Forbid, about Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife. There was a scandal that came out with them a couple of years ago about the Jerry Falwell Jr., you know, and, and, and his wife having a relationship with this pool boy. And Jerry Falwell Jr. married his wife, you know, early. She was young. She'd only ever been in a relationship with him. And what comes through in that documentary is that, you know, their relationship and exploring cuckolding like this was a way for her to explore 
her sexual self in a way she hadn't ever been able to because they had gotten together so young and and then they were in a conservative community church you know everything else where women were supposed to be you know good faithful you know as female sexuality really common in 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 you know conservative christianity and so she never had the opportunity to explore her erotic self and embrace going into cuckolding you know i think gave her that opportunity those are some of the things that i see a lot of as folks you know dive into this well, so many great points. I agree with you that there's this fear that people have that this is what is something I'm interested in. And this is for people that are perverted, that this like, let's go for look for psychopathology, the origin of it as a hope to kind of like eradicate this part of me, because that that is perverted, yeah. which instead of kind of like lean into it. And like, I feel like if you look for someone to treat you for that, <laughs> you will find a provider that that will treat you for sure for that. So versus kind of knowing that that is just part of like the spectrum of people's interests and nothing, nothing necessarily is wrong with that. How do you define healthy sexuality? Is it a big part of people that are interested that they're healthy? How do you define that? You know, again, what a, what a great question, Nazanin. The, I've really wrestled with that and I've got a great answer for you, but that was one of the things that, 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 I, that really came out in my second book called The Myth of Sex Addiction, where, you know, I took on the idea, you know, sex can be addictive and, and I really... I really ended up, you know, exposing that, you know, the sex addiction industry is is a great example of these these therapists who tell their patients that there's something wrong with their sexual desires and that they need to stop wanting that, right? And and a lot of that is based on these heteronormative monogamy, I focused very vanilla kind of ideas around what healthy sexuality is. So I spent a lot of time wrestling with how how do we pull the morality out? It's not always a religious thing, but there's a lot of religious overlap. How do we how do we then wrestle with the question that I asked early on when I saw these couples? Well, that can't be healthy. Well, okay, then what is? So the World Health Organization embraced a a definition of sexual health. And, and, and identified six principles of, of, of sexual health. And they include honesty, safety, no exploitation, shared values, mutuality. And, 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 and when we look at those things, if those things are present, you know, so for instance, a cuckold couple where the wife is engaging in the behavior, but she doesn't want to, and she's doing it to satisfy her husband's pressure, that's not healthy, not because of the cuckolding, but because it's not consensual and because it is not shared and mutual. But a couple that is, you know, exploring this, this lifestyle in a mutual way where there is honesty and shared values and consent, that's healthy, even if it's not something that you or I wouldn't do. And that ultimately, I think, needs to be part of the part of the question. You know, Kinsey said it better than anybody. He said, you know, the definition of a nymphomaniac or a sex addict in today's language is anybody who has more sex than the therapist. And unfortunately, because so many therapists like me early on don't get training on sexual diversity, we make judgments about whether sex, sex is healthy or not by whether we would do it or have done it. 
if, if we can imagine ourselves doing it, then we're like, oh, okay, that, that, that's okay. That's okay. Right. But anything that I, I can't imagine myself doing must be unhealthy. This, the principles of sexual health give us an opportunity to be more objective and to pull out of therapist, you know, kind of short-sightedness. Well, again, so many great things I want to talk about <laughs> based on what you said. One is this idea of kind of like with kind of comparing it with sex addiction model of if you're leaning to something that you're curious about, then it's like a, a date gate drug that like you're, it's going to open to tolerance and you're going to start liking things that you wouldn't like and it's going to escalate versus kind of like kind of exploring things that you're interested in. And it's not my experience that like people that are interested in things, maybe their taste evolve, but it's not like you're not into something. Then as soon as you start exploring, I don't know, finishes, now you're doing cockholding right. and then now you're like doing something else. So that, that I think such a great point. The other thing you mentioned that was really, really helpful and important for people to think about, the kind of definition of sexual health and the context, because people know that I have a Farsi show and I get a lot of pushback from people saying that, you know, my part, how dare you're saying these things are healthy because my partner wants me to do this, pressuring me to do this, to threesome, cockholding, all of that. The issue, as you mentioned, it's not necessarily about cockholding or threesome or these things being wrong. It's a power dynamic and things are like you get the consent with pressure and it's a patriarchal kind of like context that's not fair to yeah. you versus saying that this particular behavior is yeah, and, and And by going back to those principles, I think we can... A lot of times we can try and remove some of the the charge that that is oftentimes driving this. Now, the interesting thing is that the more so it, it is fascinating to me that cuckolding and searches for cuckolding online appear to be more common in countries or communities where they are more macho where they are more stereotypically masculine. And it appears that the more taboo you make something, the more likely some people are going to find that taboo really sexy. And, you know, again, talking about Justin Miller in his book, you know, Tell Me What You Want, you know, he, he, he talks about the way in which, you know, bats fantasize more about bondage and discipline and Republicans fantasize more about infidelity and cuckolding because those are the things that you're not supposed to like. And the more you're not supposed to like something, the more exciting it can be for, for some people, not for everybody, but for some people. And, 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 and so then, you know, I, I, I point out to people that, you know, the more you try to stop people from engaging in these kinds of sex behaviors that you don't like, the more likely they are to fucking do it. And it, 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 there's a there's a, a wonderful researcher from Europe, Yane Vifrati, and, and he, he has a, a, a delightful study called, Oh God, I Can't Stop Thinking About It. And it's about, he found that the more conservative religious Orthodox people were, the more they tried not to think about masturbation. And the more they tried not to think about masturbation, the more they thought about it. So, so it becomes this, this spiral and the energy that we give to trying to suppress this actually feeds it, which is why, you know, in good therapy, we don't tell people stop doing that. 
Instead, we try to help them find other things to do instead. We try to find, you know, um, ways to take away the energy and the charge and the salience from those problem behaviors because we need to redirect stuff and suppressing it is, is not effective therapy. And that's one of the things that I share with a lot of with, with a lot of people around these issues. You know, the I see I see a lot of men with interest in cuckolding, and it becomes this kind of obsessive fantasy that they that they almost can't let go of. And 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 the the oftentimes unfortunately the more they want it, the less their wife wants it. They they it becomes now this 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 you know push me pull you kind of dynamic, and working with those folks i try to i try to expose that dynamic and then i talk about how that is actually feeding it and making it more and more powerful how do we, how do we how do we de-energize this the joke i always make is that you know pursuing these kind of the 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 sexual interests it's not a slippery slope coated in uber loop <laughs> you know you don't start looking at playboy and then end up at the bottom you know having sex with sheep but what does happen is that as people start to explore some of these these sexual desires that they have suppressed and fought and hidden and been ashamed of, and then nothing bad happens to them. I call it the lightning didn't strike phenomenon. I, I did this. I watched a porn movie of people doing this thing that I've always been interested in but afraid of, and lightning didn't strike. Nobody died. Nothing bad happened. It increases that person's willingness then to maybe consider and explore maybe even some of the other fantasies that they've had. And so it can look like a tolerance effect. It can look like, you know, well, they started exploring these really vanilla sexual fantasies and then they became kinky you know, perverts. Reality, they were always kinky perverts. They were just hiding it. And they got, as, as they started to explore their sexuality, they, they realized they didn't have to hide it or suppress it or hate themselves anymore. And we see that, we see that in porn, we see that in swingers, people who engage in swinging become more accepting of sexual diversity in, in themselves and other people. And I think it's because in swinging and in watching porn, we see people enjoying sexuality that might not be our thing, but we also realize that it's okay, it's not my thing, it's their thing, and they can enjoy it, and there's nothing wrong with that. And ultimately, I think that that's probably a good thing. Now, there are people, I think, that are afraid of that because they don't want, because they believe that there are certain kinds of sex that are okay and everything else is bad. And so sexual diversity or greater acceptance of sexual diversity feels like a threat to them. And particularly, you know, we see this in more conservative religious communities where they are trying to keep homosexuality out. They're trying to keep non-monogamy out. And but interestingly, like I said, the harder they try to keep it out, the more taboo they make it and inadvertently, paradoxically feed the excitement of it. I agree with you. Before I like started my Farsi show, I didn't know this much about fetishes and cuckolding and all of that because the population that I see 
here in LA is more less conservative than the people who can access my Farsi yeah. show. So I, I agree with you. And I think the other part is that what makes all of these things like that people are scared of and the association neg- negative is the shame and secrecy connected to this. Like if you're now you're comfortable with yourself, you're celebrating your sexual wellness, then like you're a healthier person. Like it's my experience that people have better sexual experiences. They're overall happier. There are research that says that they make more money <laughs> and their relationships are stronger. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's good that like books like you that invite people to be curious about different forms of lifestyle. Like for couples that you often talk to, who initiates it? Who comes up with this idea? Is the man, is the wife, is something that they come in with the lifestyle? Yeah, so that's a really interesting and evolving kind of issue. When I wrote the book, did the research for it, it was about, let me see, we, I published that in 2009, so about 12 years ago, right? 12, 13 years ago. And at the time, this fantasy and behavior was almost always introduced by the husband. And oftentimes women, the wives, you know, when the husband suggested it, the wives, you know, resisted because they, they you know, again, they didn't want to be slut shamed. They, they were, they were worried about, you know, losing their husband if they did this and, 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 you know, all of the consequences that unfortunately, you know, sexually unfaithful women have experienced, you know, for, for thousands of years. I mean, Historically, you know, women that got caught engaging in infidelity, you know, you know, could be stoned to death. It still happens sometimes in the Middle East. They, you know, they, they, they could be banished, you know, all kinds of just awful, awful things. So it made sense that the women rarely were, were the ones that were raising that issue, suggesting infidelity or, or you know, non-monogamy to their husband. Now, one of the things that I'm hearing is more women are introducing this idea. More women are seeking it out. There's a a lady named Venus Cuckoldress is the name she goes by. And she actually has a matchmaking service now for men and women interested in cuckolding. And so these are single people who are looking for a partner that is going to be into cuckolding. And when I wrote the book, I would have told you that there was no market for that and that that was impossible. And things have changed. And I think part of it, you know, has to do with feminism, has to do with, you know, female egalitarian empowerment, and that more women are now being able to say independently this is my sexual desire. These these are my sexual interests. This is what I want. And I want to create a relationship and a life where I have that. Never, never saw that before. Also, historically, what I saw was that these tended to be older couples. These tended to be couples that had already had children. And so the, you know, the, 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 the risk of the wife getting impregnated by another man was not as frightening, right? Not as, not as, not as, you know, evolutionarily threatening because the husband had already had kids with the wife. And now again, we're seeing younger people that haven't had children that are identifying an interest in cuckolding. So, and I'm not quite sure what that change is coming from. I think it's probably a lot of kind of social factors, including exposure to porn. And you mentioned, you know, you know, cuckold porn. It's, it's one of the most popular kinds of porn out there. 
And I, I do think that there is some relationship between people being more comfortable and exposed to porn and developing an erotic kind of template that involves voyeurism and watching. And because I hear a lot of I hear a lot of men that, you know, they, they want their wife to be their own private porn star and they want to watch her be sexual with other men. Because they know what she looks like when she's enjoying herself and they want to watch her enjoy herself with other people. I think that I think that's really, you know, kind of sexy and, and, and cool. But I also think that it does have something to do with with learning about your sexuality from watching. I'm not I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's a I, I think it's a it, it's a it's something that's changing. Well, you know what's interesting you're talking about female sexuality. What what came to me is that, you know, I we like it's now hip to say like celebrate female sexuality, but I think most women who are coming from some conservative, semi-conservative background, they know that's a trick situation. Yeah. <laughs> there is a line, you know, that's a celebrated, but oh, now you're on the line, that's right. <laughs> go back. So I, I'm so glad that there's this movement of women truly owning it. And this is what I am. This is who I want. And I think that shifts the conversation. So I think that's also very Yeah. Important. And, and so, you know, in, in, End of January will be Cuck Week, and they they we celebrated the first Cuck Week in 2022, and we initially intended it to be a kind of a marketing tool for the audiobook release of my book Insatiable Wives, which was was read narrated by Rose Carraway. She's she's an incredible writer and narrator of erotic fiction. And she read the book beautifully, just just amazingly. And so we 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 came up with this idea of Cuck Week to celebrate the people that live this lifestyle and to let them celebrate publicly this this behavior that historically has been very shamed and that they've been shamed for. And the coolest damn thing happened was that it took off and they took charge of it. And and it was the women, it was the wives who took charge of it and said, yeah, we're, we're going to use this and strut our stuff. We're going to celebrate and be public about who we are and how we like this and how this is a healthy part of our life. And it was incredible. It, it really happened on Twitter, but it, but it fed into other platforms and it was just super cool. And so they're, they're putting it together again for, for 2023. And, and it's, again, it's really neat to see people reject shame. And, and it's also why I'm, you know, I'm glad your audience is mostly therapists because therapists, many of them are, are naive, like, like I was thinking that, that this, this can't be healthy. And it's an opportunity if you follow the cuck week stuff online to see these pretty damn healthy people celebrating this as a healthy aspect of their life because it's honest and consensual and, and safe and, and, and they're paying attention to those issues. So it's, I, I, I think it's a really cool evolution, again, because when I wrote the book, nothing had been written about it because cuckolding historically has been just a, a deep, dark shame. And it's not anymore. It's coming out in the light. Well, I think it's wonderful that you contributed so 
much increasing information. And I think it's different than people in the community saying that it's healthy versus coming from a therapist, psychologist, kind of like putting the information that you put out there. And the pleasant surprise when I heard the narrator's voice, because I read your book, original paper book, and I, I, I downloaded the audio book. I was like, Oh, this is not David. <laughs> she has such a like you have a beautiful voice, but she has such a soft. Exactly. Yes. Oh, voice. yeah. Yeah. Nobody, nobody could have read that the way Rose did. Nobody wants to listen to me yawling and drawling and stammering and stuttering. That wouldn't work. Yeah, you know, friends of mine that are writers that have narrated their books have told me it was one of the hardest things they ever did. And you know, I got enough. I got enough stuff going on. I don't. I, let's have a professional do this. And and Rose, Rose really came through. Beautiful. I guess like the, I know that you've been so generous your, with your time. I guess like my last question is for the couples that are curious about this. They want to go out there, experiment with that. What are some of the suggestions you have for them or invitation? Well, you know, this, <laughs> this sounds incredibly self-serving, but one suggestion is listen to my darn book. And, and I've actually had couples, huge numbers of couples. It's this kind of fun thing. They send me pictures of them on a road trip listening to my book. And it becomes this kind of road trip adventure where the couple, you know, listens about cuckolding and then they communicate with each other. That That is a really important part, place to start is to be curious and to communicate with each other, to try to not to suspend, you know, judgment and reaction and fear and, and, and everything else and be curious. It's also a way to start communicating about the things that, you know, are going to be hard here to start identifying the places where it's like, ooh, that would be really difficult for me or that would be really scary for me. It's really important to know those landmines are there before you run into them and they blow up in your face. I I encourage folks to tiptoe into the water on this. I, I, I see people get into trouble by jumping into the deep end and without having ever learned, you know, how to wade in the water. And so I, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of ways to do that. One of the things a lot of couples do is go to go, like go to a bar and let the wife pretend to be single and get hit on by other men while the husband kind of watches and, and then they go home together and, and explore what that was like. The technology is also a really neat opportunity now because, you know, they can, couples can do things like have cyber sex with, with other people. And, and again, start to explore aspects of this without getting too far too fast and then talk about what that was like what was what was exciting what was scary what was painful that's how they learn to navigate these issues together and then listen to, you know, folks like the Venus Cuckoldress that I mentioned. There are a number now of podcasts and podcasters that are talking about cuckolding and how they make it work. Again, there's no one right way for, for everybody and you have to find what is right for you. But that requires Peggy Kleinplatz, a psychologist in, in Canada, a dear friend of mine, brilliant, brilliant lady, amazing. And she's got a great book called Magnificent Sex. And 
she she says that in order to have optimal sex, in order to have the ideal sex for you, you have to be willing and able to identify what your sexual you know, needs are. You have to be able to communicate that to your partner. Your partner has to be able to listen to that. You have to be able to try and enact it. And you have to be present during it. In other words, you have to be embodied. You can't dissociate and pull away from this. You have to be in there experiencing it. Saying all of those elements are are necessary for, for couples that want to explore cuckolding, which require self-assessment and then communication and negotiation and accommodation. Done well, I think that you know that that this is an aspect of sexuality that can be you know really exciting and healthy for for couples. Done poorly, just like anything else, is something that 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 can be damaging and unhealthy. So I encourage folks to learn those skills because what cuckold couples have told me is once you learn how to negotiate this, you know this kind of sex with 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 other men, and once you learn how to negotiate and deal with that. They said you can deal with anything because it's the skills, right? Well, beautiful. Again, I personally, as a psychologist, sex therapist, I I loved your book. I, I loved the kind of like background information on each chapter, the stories of the couples. I can totally see that this can be an excellent tool for clinicians and also people who are couples who are interested in going on this journey. And I also know you're a, a very prolific psychologist. <laughs> so you, you have a number of different things, writing, books, things that, that you have. So what are some of the places that can, can people get a hold of you? What are some of the things that you're involved in? Yeah, so uh, davidlayphd.com is my, my website. My last name, even though it sounds like get laid, is L-E-Y. And that's one of the one of the easy places to find me. I'm on Twitter at Dr. David Lay. Instagram, I think it's the same. It might be David. Lay PhD on Instagram. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty accessible, pretty easy to find, and, and people can reach out to me. And like you said, I'm doing a lot of different things. I, I'm, I'm exploring writing another book about professional sexual misconduct and presenting kind of some of the human narratives of people like doctors and therapists and police officers that and teachers that you know, have sex with people they're not supposed to have sex with and not excusing their behavior. But I think it, I think it helps us understand and prevent those misbehaviors by understanding the human elements that led them to those, to those mistakes and crossing those lines. And so I'm interviewing people about that. And I also do a lot of training of, of therapists and sex therapists. Just actually came back from Jamaica and we did a training at Hedonism for sex therapists. And that was just extraordinary. And then interestingly, I'm also now doing a lot of forensic work and I do expert witness work, testifying in cases typically around psychology and, and sexuality helping juries to understand the diversity of, of sexuality so that they don't do the same thing that we've been talking about for therapists and judge based on ignorance. It, for me, it's interesting because all those things kind of go, come together. And as a young psychologist, I never knew this was going to be my career, that I would have all these all these different irons in the fire. But it, it's exciting. It's interesting. It, it, it keeps things from being dull. Well, thank you so much for everything that you do. And thank you so much for coming to our show. And we're going to release this show on the week that, that we agreed on. And I'm very excited to share this with other therapists and other people in the community. Thank you, Nazanin. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye there.
I hope you guys found our conversation meaningful. Like any other sexual behavior, any other type of relationship, cockholding is something that you can engage in in a continuum. And one side could be something that you fantasize about and masturbate to. Maybe that's something that you want to talk to part your partner about it, role play it, or maybe you want to lean into it. And it's really important to be able to dive into it slowly with your partner and be intentional about it. One thing I've been thinking more about is how in mainstream media, we don't get the accurate depiction of what are some of the different types of consensual non-monogamy. You know, in the Swinger episode, I talked about how when we're thinking about Swinger, we saw an episode on you and how it ended, or with cockholding, we see all this type of porn at times that's just not accurate depiction of what consensual cockholding would look like. Of course, porn is fantasy, but sometimes we want to get education and inspiration from porn. So it's really important to have a good information about it. And if you are in a type of consensual non-monogamy that you feel misunderstood, I think it's really will be helpful to for you to leave us a audio memo on our website. You can go to sexologypodcast.com and you will see a purple tab that says Ask Dr. Molly. There you can record your experiences. I know many of my listeners that I talk to are people in consensual non-monogamy, and this has been a positive thing for them. So I want to use this platform to increase awareness about how what are some of the benefits of different types of lifestyle that people are engaging in. So it would be interesting that if you if you even prefer anonymously talk about your experience. At the end, also I wanted to remind you to don't forget to complete our survey. It's only take less than a three minute and it will help me with curating a future episode exactly the way that you you would want to all right i'll see you next week right here thank you there thanks for listening to sexology podcast for more great content visit www.sexologypodcast.com please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.